Back to Who's Filmography Is It Anyway, folks, where the points are just like the lives of the main characters. Uh, here, uh, Stephen and I tackle uh, <laughs> Rogue One. Uh, we are going uh, chronological, uh, going in chronological order in our Star Wars saga. Um, so, as always, I'm your co-host and friend, Josh Page, and with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Stephen. I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. This is a doozy, and I'm excited to hear your opinion about this movie, because, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've only seen this movie twice now? Correct. So just to kind of to catch you up, uh, I will catch up to all the viewers at home, the listeners at home, whatever these people are, these, uh, is that uh, I saw this movie twice when it first came out, December of 2016. Um, so it's been over four years <laughs> um, as of this recording. And um, so yeah, this was this was this was quite a watch, quite a rewatch. So it's crazy because people are gonna think I'm a crazy man, but I actually saw this movie five times in the theaters. <laughs> it's not I, crazy, Stephen, considering uh, the way people, some people feel about this movie. Well, just wait until we get to what's it called, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, because I think I saw both those movies oh, yeah. six times in the theater. Um, you know, I'm a a bit of a Star Wars fan, (laughs) if you hadn't noticed. So I think that uh, there's a lot to cover, lots to cover. So do you want to just jump right into it? Let's do it. Let's go for that pre-production. Let's do it to it. All right. The budget was about, was 200 to $265 million. No one knows the real cost because as we will get into later, there were extensive reshoots. So, you know, who knows? The box office receipts were $1.056 billion. So in the end, it paid off. So production, Kathleen Kennedy wanted to kind of move. We we haven't really discussed Kathleen Kennedy yet. We'll talk about her more uh, when we get to The Force Awakens. Um, but for this the movie, uh, she kind of wanted to move away from the Skywalkers as a Lucasfilm uh, tactic because she knew that the longevity of the Skywalkers couldn't sustain an entire world, like a whole cinematic universe. You can't just have it about one family. So she's looking for off-brand movies. So John Knoll the head of ILM and one of the original creators of Adobe came to her with an idea. He chose a very specific line from episode four in the opening crawl about the rebels who stole this plans from the Death Star. And he goes, he pitches the meeting and he doesn't hear back for a week. But when he hears back, it's a go. Kathleen Kennedy loved the idea, and so did Carrie Hart. She runs the story group. They loved the World War II meets a heist movie aspect of it. 
Now, John Knoll did not direct the movie, obviously. That fell to Gareth Edwards, who was a huge Star Wars fan. Apparently, for the choosing of Gareth Edwards, the head of like the heads of Lucasfilm had a screening of uh, Gareth Edwards' movie Monster, which I've never seen. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. I actually, I don't remember why, but I saw it in a film class. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting because they, they the the whole concept is a monster movie, but you never really see the monsters. It's kind of like these people in the in the aftermath in the in the rubble of everything. Um, I think the concept's more interesting than the actual movie. It's very low budget, but I mean, I get it. You know, it's creative. Yeah, well, he took that and applied it to Godzilla, obviously, because he directed Godzilla in 2014 as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So Lucasfilm calls gareth in and he's a huge star wars fan in fact he went to tunisia for his 40th birthday to visit the set of star wars when he was asked why do you love star wars his quote supposedly you know who knows if this is true but he supposedly said i always wanted to join the rebels and it was a go from there let's talk about the acting the actors the actors uh, Felicity Jones, who plays Jin Erso, admitted that she wasn't the biggest Star Wars fan, but fell in love with it afterward. Uh, she said that she would, con- like, while she was prepping to go to set, she would constantly fall into Wikipedia holes, which, for those who know, Wikipedia, <laughs> Wikipedia. Everyone's got their Wikipedia, you know, uh, rabbit holes at some point in their life. We all fell down the hole. <laughs> Uh, she put herself through a lot of physical strain in this movie, like a lot. She did a lot of her own stunts, and it was like unrelenting. <laughs> you know that scene? She's on uh, Edu, and she's trying to like chase. No, she's not chasing, but Krennic's ship takes off and like it blasts her in the face with wind. Oh, yeah. They like literally blasted her in the face with wind while it's like fake raining and like pushing her off things she's running it's like oof um diego luna is a another huge star wars fan he watched it with his family when he was in uh, mexico he's he grew up in mexico so he watched it a lot with his family and he said he was terrified of darth vader on the set like terrified uh alan tudyk yeah yeah yeah. alan tudyk was uh, his character, K2SO, was part of the original pitch meeting John Knoll gave. Uh, the idea was an inverse of C3PO. Because C3PO, it was like a physical comedy that you're kind of always laughing at him. But K2SO in this movie is like more stoic and you're laughing with him. Like he's telling the right. jokes. The joke isn't on him. Right, he's cracking more jokes. It's he's not the basis. Yeah, that's good. That's 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 an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, but it took a while to get his look because of the idea of like he's the inverse of C three PO. A lot of the original designs were like very C three PO protocol droid designy, and it just wasn't working. Uh, so Doug Chang and his team went back to look at Ralph McQuarrie's art. We'll get to Ralph McQuarrie next week. Yeah. And they pulled the idea of like thin limbs from his original work. 
So Alan Tudyk was chosen to be the actor, obviously, and he was on set the whole time. In fact, he had to learn how to use stilts to be on set because in order to be Yeah, it's that funny tall, that you mentioned had to wear yeah, stilts. Yeah. It's so funny, but it's no, it's funny you brought up 3PO earlier because apparently Anthony Daniels made a jokingly uh, disgruntled comment that uh, Alan Tudyk was allowed to play K2SO in a, the relative, quote unquote, the relative comfort of a motion capture suit where Daniels uh, during his time had to endure years of discomfort and injuries in an actual C3PO costume. <laughs> um, and Dan Daniels, like, uh, I guess, laughingly cursed it at Tudyk about this during the Rogue One premiere. And Tudyk later said that. Um, more or less a fuck you from Daniels was one of the highest compliments he had ever received in his career. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Daniels is known to be a bit of a diva, to be honest, yeah. in the Star oh, Wars I world. Mean, um, both in the character and in real life, you know. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so Alan Tudyk was on set the whole time. He had to wear stilts and one of those body suits with like the dots on it so that they can put him in. Alan used a British accent for the character because he thought it felt more imperial, and K2 is an ex-imperial droid. He would also improvise a lot on set, like a lot. Gareth Edwards, who often held the camera, and the DP of this movie, I don't have his name pulled up, but they would find some takes unusable because they were laughing so hard while holding the camera. That's great. Baze and Chirrut. So Donnie Yen, it's cool to have him in this movie, right? Yeah. For those who don't know, he's a big martial arts movie star. The runner-up for his character was Jet Li. Well, that would have been cool, too. <laughs> so, so it's a cool little piece of trivia. Jet Li was, all, was offered for the role. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, though. So Donnie Yen was weary of the project at first, but his kids thought that him doing the movie would make him cool. They're like, you got to do it. He's like, but you want me You're to be away cool for enough. five months? He's And his kids were like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. And Donnie <laughs> is actually the one who asked Gareth Edwards if Chirrut could be blind. He was not originally blind in the script. That's uh, very interesting. Jang Wen, who, play, who played Baze, was also weary to do the movie because it was in English. And his kids, too, told him to do it. His kids who do speak and read English read the script and said, you got to do this because you would be a quote unquote true hero. So the, what, the, I'm, what I'm hearing, what I'm gathering is that the, the running, the, you know, thing here is that the kids influenced their parents, the, the cool parents. To, you know, the force works roles. in mysterious ways, Josh. So, very, very mysterious. <laughs> uh, but funny story about uh, Jang Wen. The Star Wars Celebration 2016, the movie is has not come out yet. It's the summer of 2016, like August. And they are having a panel about Rogue One. And Jang Wen, because English is not his native language, accidentally lets it slip that Chirrut and him both die. He oh, dropped. God. I remember watching this. Kathleen Kennedy's face was like poison. She was like, "Oh, geez. you are dead." He did not go back on that press junket. No, <laughs> not once. You get in big trouble for, for for leaking news like that. Yeah, they chalked it up to he like doesn't speak English, but you know, <laughs> harsh, yeah. harsh stuff. Um, 
Krennic, Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. Now, Ben Mendelsohn asked Gareth Edwards, should I make the accent British? Because Mendelsohn is a fucking master at accents. And Gareth Edwards said, no, keep him Australian because it keep, it differentiates him from the rest of the Imperial officers. That's a good choice. I like that. Yeah. So let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Oh, Grand Moff Tarkin. I knew it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so story-wise, Tarkin had to be in this movie. There was just like no avoiding it. It was... It was it was definitely necessary, and it was nice to see that character come back. Because if there is a a place in the Star Wars universe that he would fit in outside of A New Hope, it would be here. It's he, we're literally on the Death Star, like there, like I want to say ten hours before Leia is brought to the Death Star. You know, so for Tarkin not to be there right. would be very very strange. Uh. We'll get into the look of it later when we get into the movie, but for now, let's focus on the actor. The actor was Guy Henry, and he was hesitant as well to take this role because it's frightening to not only take up the role of someone you know you admire, but it's also like you are literally putting this guy's face on top of your face. He said if it wasn't Peter Cushing, he wouldn't have done it. He just had so much reverence for Peter Cushing. Right. <clears throat> he studied A New Hope, specifically the Tarkin scenes, over and over and over again to make sure that he got it right. And I think, uh, again, we'll get into the look of it later, but his accent and his like demeanor were very on point. Well, I think for the most part, it works. And like you said, we'll get into everything about it later, but I think for the most part, it works. I remember feeling like it was a little jarring in the theater, but like, it's... It definitely it's not... was jarring, but again, we'll get to that part Of later. course, of course. Uh, filming. Filming took place on the Maldives, which was a... was the Scarif Beaches. Beautiful. The people there had no idea what the fuck was going on, because <laughs> they had never really seen Star Wars. Uh, they shot at the Canary Wharf tube station in London, which is crazy. They At night, for people who don't know, the tube shuts down. It shuts down at midnight. In one night, one night, they dressed it and shot an entire sequence in the tube station. It's the, sh it's the what's it called? Imperial base on Scarif, the hallways of the Imperial base on Scarif. But it's still impressive that they were able to do that in one night. Okay. No, I was going to say, I don't know if you're going into the actual, like, if you were leading into the production aspects in terms of them shooting uh, in locations and on sets that were made to replicate uh, the look of the original, like, uh, from A New Hope. Because um, yeah. there's, in terms of production, and we can get into this later, but it's like, there's there's a ton of notes. Like, I'm just, like, going through, um, like, IMDb. And Go there's, like, it. a ton of trivia notes about about how... Like for example, like the top one of the top notes is that um, Edwards' creative team discovered old film canisters while rumma rummaging around Lucasfilm warehouses, and uh, when they found out it was unused footage from Episode Four, and ultimately this led down the inclusion of like Red Leader and Gold Leader and like tons of footage that 
they got down to the actual i mean i took we talked about in solo how i said i i feel bad for the people in the production design because like the movie is not you know the movie is what it is but the production design is really good but this production design is so unique because of how accurate it is in terms of like how they made the 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 fireships and the costumes and the characters like it's they absolutely went to insane extensive like almost lengths. all these notes like co- yeah they went to extensive lengths to ensure <laughs> yeah. that the hull of the death star was the bridge of the death star was like every button was in order yavin four right, like, like <laughs> every like detail had to be perfect yeah, because <laughs> they knew that this is like star wars and if you fuck up the production design someone is going someone, to catch it. some sweaty nerd is going to know and they're going to call you out and this it's just isn't amazing. game of thrones we don't leave starbucks cups <laughs> in the middle of the shot like like straight up like and then, so that's where i thought you were getting at with them sh- where they were shooting because down to the locations and the ships and i even i noticed it more so this time than i ever had is how much you could splice some of this footage with a new hope. And it's like, it is literally aside from it. Like you said, they already did do that. You know, they put episode four (laughs) footage in this movie, literally. It's amazing. It's absolutely, I mean, it's astounding. It's, it's far and away. I think one of the most impressive aspects to this movie. Oh, absolutely. I think it is hands down, like the most impressive part about this movie. Because it had to yeah. go right in. It's literally this movie is like episode three point nine eight. You know, <laughs> like it's so it's so close. <laughs> so we got to get it to the other big elephant in this room, the reshoots. Yeah. Now again, kind of like Solo, we will never know the whole story. We'll never know the true story, but things were not clicking the way that they should have with this movie supposedly again i don't know and they decided to reshoot about 40 to 50 percent of this movie uh which was about like two to three months worth of work which is why the reshoots were so expensive like i said the budget was 200 to 265 million dollars no one knows because it's like it it could have been i don't know who knows one of the reasons right that supposedly yeah. it was not well let me take a step back the person they brought in to head to head the reshoots was tony gilroy who directed michael clayton he's done a lot of other work and he was never given the official director of title but uh, the title of director but for all intents and purposes he kind of was the director the thing about Solo is I guarantee Lord and Miller were given this opportunity. We will bring in another director. You will still be given the title. You just need to sit back and let this person take the helm. Lord and Miller didn't play that game where Gareth Edwards did. Now, who's to say what is better and what is not? Who knows, you know? I think the fact that Lord and Miller have gone on to do a lot of other movies and Gareth Edwards has made nothing since this movie kind of shows you something, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was a little emasculating, but who the, who knows? Uh, the big points of contention, again, rumors, is that it was the ending of the movie. The entire ending needed to be redone. Uh, originally some of the characters survived yeah. and Disney 
Disney came back and said, no, no one can fucking, no one can live. Like that makes no sense. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like it's, and we can, I can harp more on this later because it goes into some of my final thoughts, but like in terms of it, in terms of the movie going dark and like going with that kind of ending is it changes a lot of what could have been because obviously in a Hollywood, big Hollywood production, you expect at least some of your main heroes to survive. So for them to go the route they did, it literally changes everything. I think the movie for me and for a lot of audiences would have felt drastically different if you kept it exactly the same, but you didn't have the, the ending that it had. So it's ironic that, like you're saying, it came from Disney because it's a ballsy ending. Yeah. Um, one of the characters that was supposed to survive was actually Krennic. And in the hospital bed, Vader would have killed him. But I think that this ending worked better. Um, I like that it doesn't necessarily tie into the narrative. I like that Vader does not interact directly with these characters. Well, I think that's, that a, makes... that's another change that was made. Vader right. originally had a bigger role in this movie. Uh, he had a scene with Tarkin and he had a scene with more Imperials. He was more hands-on in the movie. And the hallway sequence that everyone loves was not in the movie. Oh God. <laughs> His big badass moment was supposed to just be killing Krennic. And it didn't hold the weight and the punch that you need for Vader. Like, if you're going to bring Vader in, you need to, like, keep him at a distance and use him very correctly, which is what they did, ultimately. But originally, they were not going to use him as wisely, from what the rumors were. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's, I mean, we can get more into Vader later, of course. He'll, he'll definitely come up again. But it's... I think that's such an advantage by keeping him in the background because you're proving that Vader's presence is more threatening, almost like Sauron, like like in Lord of the Rings, like his presence is almost more threatening than he himself. Like, you know, the character is a menace for lack of better words, but you also like to not see him and to feel the threat of the, um, of the empire and all that. I don't know. The only difference I have is that, the emperor in this movie is Sauron. He's looming. He's it's oh, literally course. his Death Star. You know, of course. Uh, yeah, and That's he a bit, is yeah. not actually. He doesn't come into play in this movie at all. Kind of like Sauron. Right. Vader at the end proves why everyone is so terrified of Vader. But that's all we got for production. And that's no, that's good. That's good. I think that's a good a good spot to segue. So then, let's get into the movie. Before we jump into the movie, actually, because we should discuss this opening crawl there isn't one it, it literally just jumps in like literally a musical cue boom you're in do you like that uh i don't know i'm kind of kind of like how i felt about solo it's like i could do with or without it it doesn't really it's definitely jarring it's definitely a little I don't know. I'm, I definitely, I, like I said with Solo, I don't think we need the crawl. I think it's good that it establishes itself as its own thing. Um, it's I'm, fine. I'm going to go the opposite direction as you, though. I, If any Star Wars movie needed an opening crawl, it was this one. I don't. Um, you think you think like it is a traditional opening crawl with the with the, the theme and everything? And like, no, I'm not saying that it needs an opening crawl because of tradition as much as it needs an opening crawl because people are confused like this movie has a lot of is throwing a lot of information sure. at you especially from the beginning 
and you're supposed to just pick up the pieces immediately. I cannot tell you how many people did not realize that this was a, a technical prequel until like Vader showed up. I see what you're saying. Because basically what you're doing is like, so you and I have talked about extensively about how like, in what order would you show people the Star Wars movies? And in this age, you could very well say like, hey, start with Rogue One so you understand the sacrifice that allows A New Hope to be a better story, which is a, an amazing feat for this movie in itself. I'll, that's more final thoughts. But it's, yeah, if you're showing someone this movie and you're like, hang on, like I have an idea of who Darth Vader is. I already know what I'm coming off of. Like, what is the history here? And to talk about why there's even a battle, why there's even a war, why there's even, you don't have yeah. to go into the, the history of the Clone Wars, but I get what you're saying. You give some kind of if you had a crawl that said it's been 19 years since the republic fell since then the empire has tightened its grip throughout the galaxy uh, director krennic has gone to search for his old uh, laboratory partner galen urso to construct the monstrous death star something like that you know you need some context here a lot of people have no fucking idea what's going on because this movie came out right after the force awakens i've seen some people who were like very confused thinking that felicity jones was ray you know like i've heard people say that shit so it's two white uh english actresses back to back so like i i get it but it's also like you didn't set it up well enough i think chronologically if you set it up i think it works for people in this in this age uh, people now are like, oh, okay, like I can see where it fits right in in between three and four, but also like, yeah, like if you're just jumping into this blind, especially as like a standalone movie, it's kind of like, what the hell are we coming off of? So, um, what's going just on to here? Go, what's going on up here? I never know, man. All right, so let's get into the plot now. An Imperial shuttle lands on Lamu, setting off the sensors, alerted Galen Erso, Mads Mikkelsen who was also in Doctor Strange this very year. So they killed him. Disney killed him off twice in one year. Um, anyway, Galen Erso, Mads Mikkelsen, Lyra, uh, Valine Kane, and Jin, uh, Bo Gadsen, prepare to leave. Lyra calls Saul Guerrera, Forrest Whitaker, for help. Director Orson Krennic and his death troopers approach the Erso homestead. The old friends share a tense moment as, as Orson tells Galen he is coming back to work. Quote, as heroes of the empire not prisoners lyra refusing to go holds a gun to krennic krennic orders the trooper shoot her jin watches from a distance and runs to hide in a bunker sometime later the bunker is opened by saw my child come come we have a long ride ahead of us We see Jin Felicity Jones years later in an imperial prison. So, a lot going on in that opening. We'll get more into yeah how everything culminated there later in the Canon Corner because it, there's a lot of history there. On the rings <laughs> of Caffeine, a trading post, Cassian Andor, Diego Luna meets his Jeddah connection, Tivik, Daniel Mays. From the onset, Tivik is paranoid about what he has heard. 
an Imperial pilot has defected and is speaking of a new weapon, a planet killer. This is the first time like a lot of people are hearing about it. Stormtroopers surround the spies and in order to escape, Cassian kills Tivik. I wanna harp on this for a minute because this is big. His killing his own agent is a big thing because for the first time we are seeing that there is more gray in the universe. This is a rebel who are the good guys, quote unquote, right. good guys. And this is the length that the good mm -hmm. guy has to go in order to like make sure that his cause can go on. So you're ha um, you have to immediately ask yourself, are the rebels really in the right? Like they've done some really bad shit too. No, it's a it's a good thing to point out because it it brings up the conversation that we'll inevitably have about the Last Jedi and then the whole notion of Star Wars as a franchise maturing into a new area because up until this point, chronologically, um, you know, it's all been about black and white. It's all good and evil, and it's you know Jedi and Sith, and it's kind of like okay, like that only goes so far. So this is a small nugget of what you're saying it, that leads into a more neutral um, part of the, of the of that alliance, I guess. Uh, let's get back into it. On Wobani, which of course is uh, Obi-Wan mixed up into a planet name, uh, Jin is en route to a labor camp. The vehicle stops and the doors blow. Rebels enter and unlock Jin's chains. She tries to run, but is thrown to the floor by K2SO, Alan Tudyk, who politely tells her, Congratulations, you are being rescued. Please do not resist. She is brought before the Rebel Alliance High Command, specifically Mon Mothma, Genevieve O'Reilly, who was originally in Revenge of the Sith, but got cut out. No, I was saying, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did, she was I in didn't know she was scenes. cut from Revenge of the Sith. But Genevieve O'Reilly was not only in Revenge of the Sith. They like thought she was perfect, so they brought her back. But then she's brought back again in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, she voices oh, Mon Mothma cool. again. Yeah. Uh, and Bail Organa, Jimmy Smits, he's back. Which they actually gave away in a trailer. And everyone was like... Oh, how could you give that away? And Disney was like, we didn't think you'd study it that hard. <laughs> uh, they want to use Jin to open talks with Saw Gerrera, a man deemed too extreme to be part of the Alliance. Cassian, Jin, and K2 load up and head to Jeddah. You got to right. do this in the voice, so, though. <laughs> which one? Lies, deception, everyday lies. more lies? Deceptions. Everyday <laughs> more lies. <laughs> Oh god, a bunch of characters here. And uh yes, lies deception, of course. Lies Deceptions! Um why don't Bodhi Bodhi Rook is this character? Yep. Um but the by uh our boy Riz Ahmed, who's uh you know, he's going places. Um heard of him. <laughs> he's brought uh, uh Bodhi Rook is brought before Saw. He emphatically tries to tell Saw that he defected from the Empire due to Galen, but Saw needs more reassurance. Borgon, a creature that will uh, be able to suck the truth out of a person, though it can lead to a, one, a person losing one's mind. Hovering over Jed, uh, Jeddah City is a Star Destroyer, 
It is there to stop Saw's insurgents, but more important to ensure the kyber crystals keep coming. Kyber crystals, fun little Easter egg for those, uh, the uh, lightsaber. It's the... Yeah, we'll get into them more, I think, right. next week. Good. Uh, <laughs> in the city, uh, Jin meets uh, Cherat Imwe and Baze Malbus, old uh, guards of the wills, uh, protectors of the ancient Jedi temple. But, without the, but with the Jedi extinct, they have become homeless. The city is a powder keg about to explode. Saw's men are seen preparing to attack stormtroopers. Shots fired. In the battle, Jin and Shirat show their combat skills, but ultimately they are bagged and taken to Saw's hideaway. In the background, the Star Destroyer is seen leaving the planet. Saw is happy and trepidatious about seeing Jin. Uh, you had made a note about how he's giving it his all. He's really, uh, he's really giving it 100% here. 110%. 110%. Uh, his paranoia makes him believe that between the pilot, the message, and Jin, it is all a trap to kill him. She's only there, so contact with the Alliance can be established. A political discussion opens. Saw asks, You can stand to see the Imperial flag rain across the galaxy. It's not a problem if you don't look up. Uh, Jin, after years of defeat, nihilistically responds, That's a hard-hitting quote, I think. I feel like that's very yeah. uh, much the attitude of a lot of people, even today. Yeah. Um, I, I there's a lot of um hopeful like quotes in this movie that are very in vain of Star Wars, but also like are very parallel with like uh, you know having hope in general like as a person. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely a, that's definitely a good quote. Um, her view drastically changes moments after when Galen's message is played. Galen expresses his love for Jin, his stardust. He explains his coercion with the Empire, and more importantly, he talks about the weakness he put he puts in in the Death Star. Uh, in order to find the weakness, the schematics of the super weapon must be stolen from Scarif. Uh, Cassian, Bays, and Sherrit find uh, a mind-numbed uh, Bodhi. Cassian, uh, whispering Galen's name, snaps him out of his fog. Yeah, that was a little weird, though. You know, just like Galen Urso. Oh, oh I'm back to uh, normal. Uh, oh, oh. There are some definitely a lot. There's a lot going on. I'll go into more of it at, at the end, but there's a lot of plot going on where it's kind of just, okay, it's like we got to just keep moving from point A to point B, and that's just one of those random things. Above on the Death Star, Grand Moff, uh, Grand Moff Willow Tar Tarkin, uh, Guy Henry over uh, with Peter Cushing's face, you know, like leather face, you know, just kind of. <laughs> orders yeah. orders a test of the weapon only one of the four reactors is used to destroy Jetta city not the planet krennic watching the destruction he wrought says oh it's beautiful some Just sick sick shit. sick bastards here after the test is over tarkin starts his sentence with an apology but in the same breath takes the death star away from krennic until Krennic cleans up the information leak that stemmed from Edu, he will not be in charge. The heroes on the ground narrowly escape the blast and head to Edu to find Galen. Cassian's orders are to kill, not rescue Galen. Um, Krennic in that scene, Krennic is like a pretty like incompetent person in right. this movie, but his little temper tantrum was pretty funny. Yeah. We stand on my achievements, not <laughs> yours. <laughs> Such a whiny, whiny little bitches. The U-wing crashes on Edu, unable to communicate with Yavin. X-wings are ordered to the planet as backup. Cassian leaves with Bodhi to scout out Galen. Jin, Chirrut, and Baze disobey orders and follow. Off a cliffside, Cassian has a clear shot on Galen, but decides not to take it. 
which was pretty uh like that's his big character leap in that moment yeah we'll talk more in final discussion how some of the character just kind of just get muted with the overall plot but right now let's focus on this krennic lands at the lab and lines up all his scientists he wants to know where the leak came from about to shoot all the scientists galen coughs up to being the spy krennic slaps him and still orders the scientists be shot literally like bitch slaps him he's like snap (laughs) Uh, just then x-wings arrive bombing the facility krennic is pulled away galen dies in Jin's arms very sad and i gotta give credit to mads mickelson because the position that galen was in when he died looked very uncomfortable and to like be in that like weird slouched like leg position for like hours on end while shooting very impressive i give it to my boy mads heroes load up onto an imperial shuttle and make a quick escape as soon as the hatch doors close Jin confronts cassian on what just happened cassian fights back saying that uh saying in part that he has been fighting since he was six quote you are not the only one who lost everything some of us just decided to do something about it they fly to yavin on a volcanic planet, a hooded man approaches a Bacta tank. Quote, Lord Vader, Director Krennic has arrived. Vader's silhouette rises over a nervous Krennic. Krennic tries to seem above all the, accusation, all the accusations thrown at him. He even tries to throw Tarkin under the bus. But it is to no avail. Like, come on, the guy. Like, Tarkin and Vader are close. They're tight. Like, you're not going to be able to... You're not changing anything. No crazy i i just love this scene because it's just so like you feel vader's weight yeah all over it all over him like it literally opens with the shadow of vader on krennic you arguably could have axed this scene entirely and you wouldn't have lost really the story but it shows it teases that kind of presence we were talking about that darth vader has that it's kind of like it's almost necessary just to remind people like that he's still here you know Vader rebuffs the saying, quote, there is no Death Star. The, Sen- the Senate has been informed what happened on Jeddah was a mining accident. As far as the Senate knows, no construction is being built. The only people who know that this is happening are Tarkin, Vader, the Imperials working on it, and the Emperor. Like, very, very tight leash on this project. In fact, we will get into it next week, but they literally killed all the Geonosians, all of them to make sure that nothing gets leaked. Vader tells Krennic to fill all the breaches. Exuberantly, Krennic says, So I'm still in command? You'll speak to the Emperor about war. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, Director. On Yavin, the Rebel Alliance Council is divided on their next move. Some are panicking that the Death Star means the end. Others, like Admiral Raddus, Stephen Stanton, are ready to fight. Admiral Raddus is, like, pretty cool. He's, like, cool guy. Yeah, yeah, His character is based... Rebellions are built on hope. With, without unanimous consent, the Alliance will not go. 
Instead, Jin, with the backing of Cassian and other rebel soldiers, commandeers a stolen Imperial shuttle and heads to Scarif. A mission Bodhi names Rogue One. Mon Mothma, knowing war is coming, asks Bale to contact his Jedi friend who served him well in the Clone Wars. <laughs> Even though how, I don't know. But, you know. <laughs> he served me well in the Clone Wars. Served it seems like well. you served him well, so... not the other way around. <laughs> but like, well you loved. got him to Tatooine. <laughs> you saved him from... You saved his ass, but, you know, yeah, whatever. You saved him from Order 66, but well, whatever. <laughs> whatever, man, you whatever you took on say. the child, literally 18... Like, what do you owe Obi-Wan? You literally like, know, owe this man nothing. Listen, you're a selfless man, all right? Stop, stop, you know. Talk, don't talk about yourself like that. You know, you're the you're the hero here. The rebels arrive on Scarif, and so does Krennic. Jin, Cassian, and K2 will sneak into the tower to steal the plans while the rebels distract the soldiers. Bombs go off, and word of an attack reaches the ears of both Tarkin and the Rebel Alliance. Tarkin makes ready to jump to light speed while the rebels, led by Radis, are en route. The land assault is brutal and gets worse when Adats enter the scene. Uh, great to see these guys again. Great to see these the, the walkers. Well, actually chronologically we haven't seen these guys yet the the walkers yeah, technically yeah. uh the plan shifts from escaping with the plans to something more complex the schematics will need to be sent out via com link uh in order to do that Bodhi will need to contact the rebels above to destroy the shield gate surrounding the entire planet in order to do that Bodhi must set up a wire cable and have a master switch pulled in I love order how, to do that <laughs> I, I love how at this point because this whole movie is like so crammed with plot and this point it's just kind of like one thing shifting to the next to the next but you can feel it once they reach the beaches oh this is the, about what i'm about to get to next the battle picks up on both the beach and in the air at this point you can feel the plot like building and it's just building 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 it's kind of like this is where it all comes to fruition like this is where it starts to you really feel the movie pick up here oh, absolutely. um um the battle picks up on both the beach and in the air. Radis's ship is taking heavy fire. X-Wing squadrons are let loose. Red Leader standing by. Oh, man, so that good. Shit, that was like, I remember watching that, and I was like, holy shit. How did they do that? I mean, afterward, we obviously found out that they used yeah. archival footage. But it's so, it's first so. First time watching it, I was like, no way. Because I just knew, I was like, holy shit. Um. Jin and, Ka and, and Cassian successfully locate uh, Project Stardust, but in order to obtain them, K2 sacrifices himself to lock the doors. They must climb to the satellite. This is interrupted by Krennic, who seemingly kills Cassian. Chira uses his, um, the Force as his guide, locates the master switch, and pulls it. Uh, seconds later, a grenade blows him up. Baze watches, uh, watching, runs out in a fury. He, too, now feels the force. Baze kills several stormtroopers, but is also killed. With the master switch pulled, Bodhi can communicate with Radis. Moments later, Bodhi is killed. I uh, remember... Heavy shit. I, just to, just, to, just to, to harp on that for a moment. I remember watching that, in this in the theater, and I won't... Just teasing my our final discussion. This will tease final discussion, but, like, I remember watching, and it was when K2 gets it, where I was, like, I felt this because i didn't think they would do it and I, I started feeling like really sad for these characters that i otherwise didn't feel like i was connected to and then one by one they're going and i'm like oh my god they're killing people off and i remember yeah. feeling I that way the first time i watched it i was like k2 dying was really sad we'll get into my yeah. love for the character later but i was also like he's a droid so you can kill him without it being like 
you know, truly completely devastating to the audience and kids, but then Chirrut dies. It's and then, really one and then after Baze another. has like a heart, like Baze's like reaction to Chirrut dying, like it, accepting the force again, just it, that hits hard and then he dies. And then Bodhi it, is like just in the ship and makes contact with Radis. You're like, yes, now you can like literally fly away. You're in your ship and boom, a grenade is just thrown at him. Uh, it's it really, and I'll tease this up the, the idea later, but it really first for for a franchise called Star Wars, this really feels like a, just a glimpse of what a, an actual war feels like in terms of like soldiers dying and Boots like on it's, the ground, yeah. you know what I mean. And it's just and that's it's a big point. We'll I'll, I'll harp on later. But Radis now knows to take down the shield. To do so, he orders a hammerhead Corvette cruiser to push one star destroyer into another. Which is Together, pretty sweet. I love, yeah, it's so good. Sorry. Together, the two star destroyers cra- crash into the shield. Jin at the satellite is held at gunpoint by Krennic. Cassian in- in- incapacitates Krennic. The plans are transmitted. Just then, the Death Star comes out of hyperspace. Tarkin yep, orders tough stuff. Uh, this is just one. It's just one thing after another. It's crazy. This is absolute madness. Um, Tarkin orders a single reactor shot on the planet. Krennic watches. Yeah, that's as- important to note too. Yes, you know because in Episode Four, uh, Alderaan is the first planet to get blown up by the Death Correct. Star completely. On Jeddah and here, they used a single reactor, a single out of four, so one fourth the actual power of the Death Star. Correct. So, ting- so Tarkin orders a single reactor shot on the planet. You may file when ready. <laughs> Krennic watches as his creation destroys him. Jin and Cassian make it to the sea line and watch as their destiny barrels towards them. This is good work. This is very exciting. Some heavy stuff. Cassian turns to Jin saying, your father would be, would be proud. Oh, man. Um, Another moment I was like, oof, heavy stuff. They, heavy they, stuff. They hug as the light consumes them. The rebels make ready to jump to light speed, but Vader's destroyer blocks their escape. Tough stuff for them all. It's just like they can't literally can't get away. No one can catch a break. Vader orders a boarding party. On the rebel ship, the plans are copied to a disc. They run into Tanty Force door, but is jammed. Vader's, Vader's breath echoes down the dark hallway. His red lightsaber consumes the room and it begins to massacre the rebels. The to plan- say the least. The plans make it through, and the Tantive Four launches. Oh, my God. All right, we'll harp on it, obviously. But quickly, they jump to light speed as Vader ominously watches. The disc is run to the bridge. The soldier asks what the disc is. Princess Leia, not played by Carrie Fisher, but with not Carrie Fisher's much. face on an actress, looks up and says, hope, the end. Um, I just want to say, um, I saw... I saw Yep. <laughs> I saw I just want to harp on that moment for a sec. I Which saw this moment? movie this end uh for a quick second. Uh I I saw this movie with um with Robin and my my oldest friend and his wife. We had all seen Fort The Force Awakens together. You know, we were like yeah. we we're like we'll go to uh you know, we'll we'll go see the new Star Wars movies when they come out. And I saw this and I remember as the beach scene is happening and it cuts to what's happening on Tantive 4 and, and and the ships. And all of a sudden I see, I'm seeing these dudes in helmets. And I'm like, I remember like whispering to my friend, I was like, cause I didn't realize how closely this was gonna be to A New Hope. Oh, me either. Like when I, I first knew- saw it, I was like, holy shit, this is like literally right before. Right. So, so cause I, when you're seeing Tark and all this, like you get the idea, it's, it's definitely shortly before, but I didn't realize this would be leading. So all of a sudden it's, they show the guys in the helmets and they show everyone up and up in what's happening up in, 
in space with the battle up up there. And I, I remember just, just whispering to my friend, I was like, I think this is going to end with A New Hope. And he it, was like... I mean, in hindsight, it only could have, because the point of A New Hope is to get the Death Star plans to the Rebel Alliance. Right. So but it I didn't had expect- to end with that. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, the first time I watched it, I picked up on it. I'm just saying, like, in hindsight... Well, we really knew it had to this way, right? But I didn't realize it would end like leading up to the actual opening shot of the ships chasing one another. You know, in that we'll get to like... it more next week. Yeah. But the funniest thing that I think that this movie did un- unintentionally, obviously, is um, in episode four, uh, Leia tries to lie to Vader and say like we're a negotiate like we are a diplomatic ship and a diplomatic envoy and vader's like you lying bitch i literally just (laughs) saw you like don't try and pull that on me like now his now his rage makes more sense because you're like he was he he was literally right there he saw you you were you got got you lying bitch um i love it so much anyway but as always instead of jumping into the categories we're going to jump into canon corner there is actually a lot to cover. I don't know if I'm going to cover it all. Next week, we will talk more about the creation of the Death Star. I know that this movie seems like the perfect opportunity to talk about that, but we'll get into it next week. Instead, this week, let's talk about the formation of the Rebel Alliance, because it was not an alliance that was just magically formed. You know, it, And I think that that is the beauty of this movie and Rebels, the TV show. It shows just how political and dirty and uh, crazy the Rebel Alliance was, more so than the original movies. Because the original movies, you're like, yeah, the Rebels. But in this movie, it shows the stakes and what it took to build. Um, the idea was for, was fomenting uh, between Bail, Mon Mothma, and Padme, actually, toward the end of the Clone War. All right. So, uh, what's your what's your point of reference for this? Is this based this is on deleted scene? This is deleted scenes in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Oh, okay. They started meeting, having meetings uh, secretly in the deleted scenes, and they were talking like Palpatine is getting a lot of power. Things are not going as well as they should have been. You know. Their main objective during the Clone Wars was to open diplomacy once again with the Separatists. And obviously they were rebuffed and Padme died and it didn't really end well. Um, If you want to see more of the formation of the Rebel Alliance, definitely watch the TV show Rebels. But uh, it didn't start as one giant alliance. It started in clusters. You had cells and organizations popping up here and then other ones popping up there and slowly but surely they kind of converged into an alliance the real solidifying moment actually takes place in rebels where mon mothma is on the run because the empire has caught wind she was in the senate prior but she's kind of caught they kind of caught wind that like yeah she's not playing ball here like she wants this thing called democracy you know this is not good so in the show you actually see her on the run and you see her making 
a hollow net, which is like TV broadcast that goes throughout the entire galaxy in which she proclaims that Palpatine is a tyrant. And it's a big deal. From that point on, she's persona non grata. Like if you find her, she is dead. Like imperial wise, if the empire finds her, she is dead. No like trial, nothing. But some of these other groups that uh, came about, obviously we touched on Infis Nest last week. She was obviously trying to start building the rebels. But the other one is Saw Gerrera. Let's get into him for a little bit. He was actually a George Lucas idea. And he was in the Clone Wars. Okay. So he is from Omdurran. Not Alderaan, Omdurran. I know the names are confusing. A, and it's a planet that was hit very hard by the Clone Wars. The Separatists invaded and tightened their grip, but strapped and low on clone troopers, the Jedi could not send their full support to the planet. So instead, they sent Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka to the planet. No, sorry, just Anakin and Ahsoka to the planet to test this new idea of creating insurgencies, rebel insurgencies. Uh, the Jedi authorized the plan but they were not too thrilled about it because they were fearful that this can lead to terrorists growing. You know, you're literally teaching boots on the ground how to rebel against a, form, a formed government. It's very like murky territory. Mm -hmm. Saw learned what he could uh, from Anakin Skywalker. He literally learned from Anakin Skywalker how to fight the man. Now, your point of reference for this is from the Clone Wars show. Okay. But Saw's sister, Stila, is actually the one who is in charge of the organization on Omdurman. Tragically, she dies while liberating the planet. And this is like a huge moment for Saw. It obviously hits him hard. And if I think if you look correctly, in Rogue One, you can see a picture, like a hollow picture of Stila in Saw's like little office, you know, quote unquote office, whatever the fuck a hideout is. That little cave. Whatever um, that cave I've, is. I've, I've heard there are some references, because I remember when this came out and reading up all about all the references and all the Easter eggs, that there are specific Clone Wars Easter eggs throughout, and that's one of those scenes is yeah. whatever I guess is going well, on. Well, originally Saw Guerrero was not supposed to be in this movie. What happened was they developed a character very much like Saw Gerrera and Lucasfilm, the story group interceded and said, well, we already have a character kind of like that if you want to use him. That's cool. And Forrest Whitaker uh, loved the, you know, he studied the Clone Wars TV show and he said he loved the fact that this Saw Gerrera the one he was playing had a breathing mask, just like Darth Vader. And he yeah. learned from Anakin Skywalker how, so it shows the dichotomy of like, one That's is fighting cool. for freedom, one is fighting for tyranny now, but both are just completely hollowed out shells. They're of the just men they shattered. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a good contrast. The point of Saw Gerrera is to show you just how war gets to you over time. He's essentially a Kurtz-like character from Apocalypse Now. 
that's, um, pretty, that's a pretty good way of looking at it. The Urso family. Jin, unlike other Star Wars characters, knows where her parents are. You know, she knows who her parents are and she knows where they come from, which makes her very different than some other ones. Uh, Galen is kind of like the Oppenheimer of the Star Wars universe. Someone who creates something that can save the world, that can destroy the world as well. Because Oppenheimer, for those who don't know, is the one who created the atomic bomb. Uh, Galen, during the Clone Wars, worked on Coruscant. He and Krennic worked together, actually. Krennic was his supervisor. And Originally, Galen thought that he was just working on research for kyber crystals to be used as a new energy source. But what he was actually working on was the Death Star's weapon, which is uh, at its core. What gives it the power to destroy a planet is the kyber crystals within. That's why the Empire's on Jeddah, stealing kyber crystals. They're using, they're getting as many as they can for the Death Star. Kyber crystals also are what make lightsabers have their uh, powers. Uh, he is married to Lyra, who is an archaeologist. And Krennic is trying to keep her away as much as possible. He kind of like twists Galen's mind, makes him think Lyra is like not as good for him as she really is, keeps her away. On one of her missions, she meets and befriends Saw Gerrera, who is not completely insane at this point. Um, Saw, uh, ultimately, Galen kind of like comes back to the light. And Lyra and Galen contact Saw Gerrera, who helps them escape from Coruscant, and they find a homestead on Limu, or whatever the planet's name is, which is where we find them in the beginning of Rogue One. Uh, this is all in the book Catalyst, which I highly recommend. It's really good. Um, afterwards, Saw Gerrera raised Jin until she was about 16 or 15 or 16 when people started to realize, who is this girl? Like, who are you? And her being the daughter of the Oppenheimer of the universe leads to questions like Saw. You, why are you working with an Imperial's daughter? Right. Saw, you're supposed to be this tough guy. So Saw kind of just abandons her. He's like, I, I can't be with you. Like, I've taught you all I can, but like, you got to go. You're 18 now, get out of my house. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Cassian Andor, I don't have much on him. I just wanted to note that he was born on Fest and he and his family were part of the separatist movement. That's why in the movie, when he says, I've been part of this fight since I was six years old, he's literally been fighting Palpatine since he was six years old. He was a like part of the separatist movement. Um, the Guardians of the Will, a concept derived from George Lucas's original vision. Obviously it's very different because George Lucas wanted to originally tell the Star Wars movies through a third person perspective, like through the wills, they are the ones telling the Star Wars stories. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously that got modified for this movie. And the guardians uh, of the will guard the temple on Jeddah, 
they're like a they're kind of like a off-brand Jedi. While they cannot use the Force, they can surrender themselves to the Force. Like that's their whole thing. They they can't use it, but they feel it. When the Empire took over, they uh, one of the main objectives of the Empire was to completely obliterate any remnants of the Jedi, get rid of anything that even reminds people of the Jedi. Right. Wipe, which, wipe it clean. Wipe the wipe, slate clean. Yep. <laughs> wipe the slate clean. Uh, bury the hatchet. <laughs> so they went to Jeddah, and they also needed the Kyber crystals, again, for the Death Star. So they went to Jeddah pretty early on, and the Guardians of the Will took on a militant state. They tried to protect the temple as best they could, but obviously it's monks against who don't know the Force against the entire Imperial army, and that's just something that they were never going to win. And that's all I really have for Cannon Corner. Like I said, next week we will get into the Imperial Brass and the Death Star construction. I just felt like that was enough for this week. No, of course, of course, it's good that you're, you know, filling in the gaps, especially between uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith and this one, because there's 20 you, years of stuff. Yeah, you have almost a 20 year gap. So a lot of like, years, Josh. A lot, a lot of years. years. So oh, then God. tell the people, what are the awards? So as always, we have Most Iconic Moment, Clunkiest Dialogue, uh, the John Williams Award, Best Creature or Droid Design, uh, Standout Character, and Best Use of the Force. So, so like go. Uh, I can go first. Iconic yeah. Moment. I mean, there are a lot, but you know, there's really only the one. Yeah, you know, everyone walked away from this movie with the Vader hallway scene in their mind. That's just that's as iconic as it gets. You're watching Vader for the first time be the badass that everyone made him out to be through the expanded canon, you know? Right. This is yeah, it's this is my pick as well. So we could just we could have a quick discussion about it. But I think that what's so incredible about the scene is in one scene alone it makes vader all the more of the threat that they talk about him in in a new hope because because he's more of a discussion he's more of a discussion piece for the characters in a new hope it's more like they discuss vader you see him in action a little bit but like it's more about how they they talk about how bad he is so it's kind of like to see this scene you're like oh i get why he's a threat i understand why he's so powerful and it's funny because it's such a short scene and yet it's so it does so much it's not just uh to them it's for the audience because up until this point we had seen vader fight luke but we hadn't really seen vader be the badass that we all knew he was you know Mm -hmm. and this scene was like we're gonna show you just how fucking scary being on the ground and hearing that breathing would be i mean you arguably never see the character more menacing and terrifying in the whole franchise that's my point that's my point so clunkiest dialogue uh go for it um there's a lot of Lucas-esque dialogue, mostly just because there's so much plot that it's kind of mm-hmm. like stuff about hope. And like, it, it, when I know clunky is like, a, has become an infamous word for Lucas dialogue, but the it doesn't come off as, I guess, I don't know how to put it. Like, it doesn't come off as clunky as like, I guess the original trilogy. Like, it's easier to roll with. Um, I just had to go on. You know what it is? The acting, I feel like, how do I say this right? 
if George Lucas had directed some of these lines, I think it would have came off as worse than it is. Sure. I'm not saying George, like, I don't mean to be mean to George is what I'm trying to say, but you know, we, we talked about this extensively during the prequels. He's not an actor's director. And I he feel said like he doesn't like it. He doesn't like. Yeah. And I feel like know. a lot of Jin's lines could have been more wooden and could have been harder to get to feel if it had been in a lesser actress and a lesser director's hands. That's a great way of putting it because Star Wars ha- kind of has to, the at least the way Star Wars has always been in both the prequels and the original trilogy and to an extent the sequel trilogy is that there's always been that that orbiting around kind of like dialogue that may seem otherwise corny or wooden or um, uh, you know, kind of a and again, in a in a, a way of like hope and good and evil and whatnot, and like I don't know, you can only do so much with the story, and and avoid that kind of dialogue. So for Rogue One to kind of feel like it's easier to roll with the clunky dialogue, so it's hard to like to pick. But yeah. the line that the line that stood out was, uh, of course, for me, when we've talked about it, was was Vader's line. Um, the don't be choke careful, on your aspirations. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations. That, that's my line as well. Because it's it's too on the nose, and it's I think we talked about this in the solo episode that it's just it doesn't. It's not that it doesn't work. It's just, it's too, in, because we were talking about, like, I get a little humor in these movies. And it's a moment that's so, it's too on the nose for me. I guess kind of like, I don't cringe. I don't roll my eyes. I'm kind of just like, eh, like you didn't need that line. But No, it was kind of like Vader, I don't know, at the comedy club. And it just didn't work for me. Like, <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. There are moments when Vader can be funny. Like when he chokes Captain Nita out and uh, the Empire Strikes Back, he's like, apology accepted captain you know like, yeah yeah of course uh, but he's talking to a dead man at that point you know it, it, there's a difference all right uh, yeah john williams award i went with two songs because they bleed into one another and i'm kind of sad that they don't just put it as one song on you're, the album you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna it's take, your father would be proud mixes with hope it's the, uh, okay. it's the last songs yeah it, it's just both those songs work so well together because they literally bleed into one another. Hope is the song that Vader attacks with. And it's actually the Imperial March at a different uh, rate. Both those just work very well, in my opinion. They're so, so good. That's kind of where mine was at as well. Starting with Your Father Would Be Proud. I made a note last week in comparison to Solo's score, which is good, but I, I made a specific note that I knew I would bring up this episode about the score sounding mimicking john williams and this one is very clearly like john williams is inspired influence for sure and michael giacchino i guess is his name giacchino um and the score all around is incredible because it sounds like it's inspired like you said it's like it's it's almost directly inspired by john williams and yet it doesn't sound like he's copying john williams he's very much doing his own thing um I kind of disagree. I feel like he very much is trying to copy him. You can tell it's and it's I John kind Williams. of wish that they integrated more of the original score into this one. To be honest, like in this movie, you have the Imperial suit as a song, but mm-hmm. it's like, why not just use the Imperial march? You you have it. Well, that's kind of where I'm going with my award because your father would be proud is where it starts because that's the one that stands out in terms of actually feeling like 
uh, Enfys Nest when I talked about uh, that theme, how the mm -hmm. theme is the theme is way more powerful than the character itself. Um, this is a kind of a, a reverse, or the the theme itself is so it pulls on your heartstrings, but it's also an emotional moment. Like you know, it's when they're dying on the beach, it's this big sacrifice. So it's kind of like it works, um, and it kind of rolls. Music into... hits you just as much as the Death Star blast. Right. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, of course. And but and like you were saying, like it rolls into the Imperial Suite, and I that's kind of part of it i mean that whole i guess i'm agreeing oh, yeah, with you but sweet not suit that was my bad it's, no, it's all good but the um the way that they tease the imperial march is i'm i'm glad that they didn't go with the directly with the imperial march i just feel like it's too much for its own it needs to exist on its own as its own identity in the original i don't know trilogy. i'm just like you have it use it you know here this is about imperials just do it I, I don't know. I feel like they should save the bigger themes, <laughs> the bigger themes for the, for the, you know, where the movie, where the character more counts, you know, this is just a tease anyway, but that bit for starting with the beach with the, that, that's what the, on the album, your father would be proud. And it's that line. Um, it's so good. It's so, it's really, it's, the, it's really it's, moving. It's, it's just what I was going to say. It's moving. Uh, best creature design, all you. Um, best creature or droid design. I went with K2SO. Uh, I love the way that character was set up and the way he maneuvered. I liked that it almost looked more like a person. Like C-3PO's design is like a person, but it's very almost like a robot where this is like, he's got the little neck, he's got the little parts. I just love the way that it maneuvers. Um, that we, we talked about last week how the droids are always impressive. And I love the way that that character is designed. Um, the production design in general, I mean, I love, there. it seemed like there was way more of a lack of creatures and and droids this this round but um the actual I'm gonna, i mean yes and no i feel like there were a lot of creatures in this movie especially when you get to the rebels but the problem is the imperials did not like alien species they right. didn't hire them right um or except for grand admiral thrawn which sure you know people were very racist to him within his own ranks right um <laughs> I'm going to go with K2 is definitely on my short list as is Biston the Space Monkey, just because that's an awesome name. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But I'm going to go with Radis. I feel like we saw something comparable, obviously, because uh, Admiral Akbar is Mon Calamari as well. But I feel like the way that they turned, like I said before, Radis is based off of Churchill. Mm -hmm. And for them to like literally turn Churchill into... Amon Calamari. Yeah. It, it cool. was just like awesome to me. It, it, is cool. it is cool. I definitely, I definitely do enjoy that. Uh, so standout character, I, I went with K2SO just because he's my favorite character in this entire movie. I feel like, honestly, if I were to be any Star Wars character, I, it would be awesome, obviously, to say like I would be Yoda or Luke Skywalker, but in reality, I think I'd be like K2SO. Yeah. Like if I were any Star Wars character, that. If you he just matches my personality more it, than like anyone else. Yeah. He, you have a, you connect with him personally. Um, so he just, his wit is just on point. He's uh, just very different than any droid we've ever met. I, I love it. Go on. We've, we said it. last week that the droids, they do good with the droids, especially as they've. Disney the crushes the droids. Yeah. And they've done a, they did a really good job. It's with almost them. like um, they know that there's merchandise that, and money that hmm. can be made off of droids or something. <laughs> Um, my, uh, my standout character, I, I, I did a, a, a double, I went with Chirrut and, uh, and Baze. I think that that combo, 
I think neither of those characters succeed on their own as well as they do when they're together. I don't think it's been, we don't, we don't see many pairs of characters in the way that you think like R2-D2 and C-3PO, like the franchise, you know, they don't often glorify pairs of characters. A lot of these characters stand out on their own. So for these two to like kind of bounce off each other and they have great chemistry, um, I think it, makes for it makes up for like what i what i was saying is like it's almost like lack of individuality like they're both unique on their own but together they i just love that that balance you know just for the one blind character and then you've got the one who's just like uh he's stubborn and, and chatty and it's a the contrast is great so i uh no those are good yeah work, i like it uh best use of the force mm-hmm. still you um so this was tough because I wanted to go with, you know, uh, Vader kind of, especially when he lifts the guy at the end um, and he's holding him on the ceiling and he cuts through with the, with, the, with the lightsaber. It was tempting to just, you know, keep riding Vader's coattails. Um, but the way with, with best use of the force is I, I went with um, the way I wrote it, as I said, is Charette's blind faith, if you will, to put to be punny about it, especially in the end with the switch when he walks over. And what it is, is what I love about the force in its relation to spirituality, because that's really at the core of it. That's what it is. And whichever way you want to put it is that the force he's he doesn't interact with the force the way the Jedi do. He doesn't move things with his mind. And so this idea that he has this literal blind faith. I mean, the fact that he's a blind character is, is it's just, a <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, on, a, a it's yeah. on the nose but i just love that it's he's got the he's got the faith in the force the way that like um you know like a like a buddhist or or someone who's very religious is kind of like believes in their faith he's very like it's a peaceful it's definitely like buddhist inspired but i love that the force in charat's uh, eyes again not trying to be like punny here but like in in his mind it, it's a it's something that can't be seen. And it's something that he is not tangible to the audience. He's like, again, he's not moving objects with his mind. It's kind of like, it's a very, it's an unseen presence. And I think that that's a unique way of displaying the force. Yeah, you kind of did what I did. I wrote in my notes, literally Vader. <laughs> yes. Spiritually, I wrote the will of the force. Yeah. Letting Rogue the Rogue One team get the plans to the Death Star. Yeah, because that plan was half-assed at best. At best, right, right. And yet, the force guided each of them to their goal. They each pulled off what they needed to pull off, in a, and it ended successfully. Like they got the plans. It was a literal leap of faith. Yeah, it was hope. Yeah. And what is the force if if not at least somewhat rooted in hope? Right. So that was my answer. No, it's good. They don't I do it. There's almost no other Star Wars movie that really nails it that way. But Let's get into final discussion. Do you want to yep. kick things off? I will. Um, I'll start by saying that when I saw this, first saw this movie, I had thoughts on it that I still have in terms of uh, there's so much going on that I don't care about. And then the ending kind of saves it. And I don't necessarily feel differently. I feel like there's so much plot. And I feel like this is a movie designed for Star Wars nerds, especially like original trilogy nerds. I think it's very poignant that this movie more than any other in post Disney are you get the you get the the people who enjoy Star Wars who say, and I've heard it from so many people who say, Oh, the the only 
my fa- my favorite movie post um whatever Disney, Disney, acquisition. Disney yeah or is it, either one. is Rogue One either they'll say it's either their favorite or it's the only one that they liked and I think it's very poignant because what it does is it's capturing the personality of the original trilogy I think what it lacks for me is like actual and and you might disagree with this but I feel like there's there's not real depth to what's going on because it's so plot heavy in terms of it's like mechanisms about war and like and like I was alluding to before the boots on the ground realities of war are unlike anything I've seen in a Star Wars movie and so I feel like the whole ending makes up for everything I didn't in, wasn't invested in beforehand. I don't disagree but my feeling is also this movie is comparable to episode two to me attack of the clones mm-hmm. in that the last 30 to 40 minutes of both those movies are oh, like completely save everything completely save everything but the difference is to me the story of rogue one is a lot more interesting even before we get to the beach i don't really know if I feel a connection to the characters as much. Sure. But, well, I definitely have more of a connection than I do to like Jin than I do to Anakin in episode two. I'll say that up front. Yeah. But um, I just feel like the world in which they're putting you in, yes, it's because maybe there are some familiar characters at play and maybe it's the time of everything too. But I love the machinations of the empire at play i mm-hmm. love watching the politics of it all i love watching the politics of uh the rebel alliance like you said before this is a star wars nerds movie oh my like, god completely i do not think that this movie will appease those who don't love taking a deep dive into star wars like the Agreed. canon corner i laid out for this was dense enough but I could have made it a lot denser. Like right. there was so much that I still could have dug into because there's just that much information about it. It's it's really wholeheartedly for nerds. And, and because Star Wars is one of the nerdier franchises in existence, it's kind of like, this is the perfect, it's like the, uh, the perfect wrap up for anyone who may complain that they're not diving into the mythology of the death or the rebels or the empire enough because that's really what this is i almost feel like you could have done this as a short film kept a lot of nixed a lot of this of the of the extras about like i was saying even the stuff um even the stuff with with vader and um uh, in the middle of the movie it's kind of like there are countless scenes where i feel like you could cut and you can still give them the basis like i said a short film and you could still get away with what you wanted to do i'm gonna flip that though right had this movie had waited three to four years it would have been a tv show for disney plus hands down not even a question oh that would be cool well i was gonna say in the other direction this completely works as like almost an episodic not in like not in terms of the movie's episodes like that they're called episodes like a literal episodic story because what it is is that i i'm is that the potential for these storylines are not explored enough like i don't care enough about so i haven't seen clone wars of course like because i'm a terrible star wars fan but like i don't care enough about forrest whitaker's or mad mickelson's characters because the movie rogue one only gives me such little context to care about them but i know that there's fleshed out mythology yeah and on top of that I will say the first 
10 to 15 minutes of this movie dense like you're yeah. jumping from one planet to the next to the next and it's you're just, just like lot. and it is a lot again that's why you have to be a nerd in order to understand like okay right. we're going from here to here and yes they don't really talk about Wobani ever in like a canon book but like the ability to adjust your mind that they're going from one planet to the next can be jarring, especially if you're doing it five or six times within the first 10 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. So you need to like understand the general time frame that this takes place. Otherwise you are going to be completely lost. And and that's where I feel like the, the, the movie both succeeds and fails. I think that like, it doesn't really fail because it's like the more you, the, the the more you learn from it that you're only going to benefit because you're if you're invested and you you find out that there's actual mythology and storylines and like you said even with the canon corner and just there's so much going on behind the scenes that it really is an informative movie the problem is is star wars this is the problem with star wars in general is it appeals to nerds who want more but it also has to appeal to mass audiences who can go in without seeing other movies and make it stand alone. So it's very hard to like really, and that's what you were saying about the crawl earlier. It's like it's hard to jump into this movie. That's with why no I said context. the crawl feels very necessary for this movie, because an average person, I just I see them being lost very yeah. easily, especially yeah. within the first ten minutes of this movie. Yeah. Obviously, they will find their footing later. But you know, you and I have a friend who couldn't like make it through the first 20 minutes of this movie he kept falling asleep because he just would couldn't get over the hurdle of the first 20 minutes and, and then he'll die the, on that hill and like yeah. oh it's so boring i fell asleep and that's just like and it's just hard to get over that hurdle that's something george lucas understood you need to get him within the first like five seconds otherwise they're out yeah. and this movie just it builds a lot and when you get to the end it is amazing the end in the end battle is like the whole beat amazing. sequence to the end everything is real i mean it it truly for me it truly is incredible and i did feel it again this time i i certainly enjoyed it more this round because i knew what i was walking into but it made me appreciate the end it made me appreciate everything that came before the end because the end is so good like i felt myself like i said with the deaths of the characters actually like not welling up, but like I was really getting attached to them because you know, they're not going to make it, you know, they're going to die. It kind of like hits, it hits harder every time that you see it because it's kind of like the ending, it just pays off. And that's why it was so important for Disney to go at the end, the balls ending they did. Like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh, I just want to talk about one more thing. Cause we mm-hmm. did talk about it during the plot and we said we would is uh, Tarkin. Oh uh, yeah. Does it work for you? Uh, I got to suspend disbelief, especially in believing that it's not, you know, uh, Jim, Jim Carrey in a Christmas Carol, uh, with the <laughs> CGI face. But like, honestly, like I said, was saying earlier, I think it works more than it doesn't. I think once you get over it, it's easy to, to kind of just dismiss, but it's certainly like I, I was saying earlier, like I was, I remember being in the theater and noticing, I'm like, I think this, this dude is CGI. However, I think they handled it delicately enough that it's not completely jarring. Uh, When I first saw the movie, I remember vividly, like, I thought we were just going to see his face through the reflection of the bridge of his uh, Star Destroyer. And then we cut to his face and I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, 
you got one shot with him in. That's amazing. But then it they kept going back to him, and I'm like, oh my god, it's like, too much. I don't know if it's too much or if it's just too ahead of its time. When I first saw it, I thought that it was like unbelievable. But as time has progressed, it has gotten worse, obviously. Yeah. Because technology around that has gotten a lot better. This is one situation where I I know Lucasfilm would be very, very scared to do this given the backlash about the original trilogy, but I think it would behoove them to go back every and like touch it up five to ten years and touch it up to make sure that the agree. face looks better and better. Right. Because I guarantee if you were to touch it up now, it would look better. And then five years from now you never you don't have to touch it up ever again. Well, we, we talked about this with Harrison Ford, the Harrison Ford deep fakes in Solo is like people on the internet, people on YouTube are make, are, are doing, um, you, know, you know, face recognition with technology better than some of the filmmakers. I mean, like, what people did with De Niro and the Irish. I was you know about I mean? to say, I, the deep fakes I saw of De Niro were better than what was actually in the Irishman. Right. So all that to say, to go off your point, is like technology is certainly good enough that they can pull it off. And I do agree that that is one thing especially since this is a movie for nerds. I think the casual moviegoer might be like, oh, that looks a little strange. And then they'll move on from it where the nerds will be like, I can't get over how much he looks like a video game character. Even though, like I said, it, it works more than it doesn't, but it's it's not unnoticeable. It is I completely feel noticeable. like a lot of people who don't know the Star Wars lore are going to watch that and go, who is that? Like, right. What? Yeah, exactly. Because he has a very important role in episode four but he's not like you know that but that's all he's in episode four and then he's gone right Right. um anyway so i think that what the consensus we are on is that it is half a great movie and then half a good movie yeah and i think the good i was able to appreciate it more which is where I, i differ from episode two i think where episode two it's you have a great movie at the end and you have a mixed movie in the beginning it's yeah i mean and it's it's ironic because episode two you're supposed to care a lot more i think you're supposed to be a lot more invested in the characters because you know they have longevity you know that like anakin's going to become darth vader you know you're supposed to be more invested and yet like i couldn't care less all these years later i couldn't care less about his scenes with padme and you know rolling around the flowers i (laughs) care too much about those scenes i care enough to turn them off every time they come on that's what i'm saying and it's like with this i think the difference is with rogue one it's so and like i said it's so plot heavy that ultimately it's hard to be invested in and 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 to go uh to what you were saying against my uh notion of this being a short film is it it in the opposite direction this this almost would have worked better as a as a tv series i think that this would have been a better tv series if but would we have gotten Felicity Jones? Probably not. But, you know, they're going back to the well. Cassian is getting his own TV show. Um, yeah. And who's to say that there won't be a Rogue 2 where the Bothans go and get the Death Star plans for the second Death Star, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 you never know. I mean, I, because I a lot know. of them died, I heard. <sighs> many, many, many Bothans. So you know I, what's I don't hilarious? Know. I... Bothans. Many Bothans died. Many, <laughs> many Bothans. But overall, it works for me. It certainly works more for me than it did years ago. I think I don't know if I've just become soft and more accepting of just of just a lot more nonsense. I do still feel that the first half is like 
not expendable. It certainly builds, but it's sitting, like you said, half of a great movie. And that, that end really does save it. I think episode two is a great comparison. So, yeah. So I think that is a good place to end this episode of whose filmography is it anyway? Uh, as always, you can find me on Instagram and letterbox at Mr. Film Art. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at whose filmography. Josh, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Under Beach, but I don't know if you want to give a pick of the week. <laughs> That's what I forgot. Jeez, I'm like losing my mind. I do this shit every week. Don't worry about um, me. Pick of the week. Do you got one? Yeah, so this is a huge leap, and I think, I don't know if you've picked this one before, but I'm going to go with Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. I have picked it before, but go on. All right, it's I don't need to harp pick. on it. It's a good pick. You know, a bunch of nobodies uh, end up in a giant mission uh you know and uh, there's a little samurai based i guess you could say some of the characters in rogue one there are some comparisons i just thought of it you know them and you know that's really that's really you know like i said bunch well, of no I, off of yours i'm gonna go with the magnificent seven the original oh, okay. one not cool. not the remake but even the original one is based off of the seven samurai mm-hmm. it's the same thing it's a ragtag group of ruffians get caught up in a giant plot who get caught up in a giant plot and for the and find their soul through uh the bigger cause and ultimately most of them die no spoilers but of course you know it's it doesn't necessarily have a happy ending for every single person correct it's pretty good. Pretty, pretty, so I think it's interesting that we pretty, land in the same place. But yes, like uh, you were alluding to, you can find uh, me on uh, Letterboxd under Beach, as, as always. And uh, you can find Steven under his Letterboxd and his Instagram. And Yeah, and next week we get to the movie that started it all, which after these anthology movies, I'm excited for. Yes, uh, I think it'll be, I, I know this is going to sound strange, but it'll, it'll seem a little more relaxed, I think. I think there's so much back and forth because I'm very scared to tackle this movie. I feel like there's so much information behind the scenes information that's come out. Well, of course, I I think that the pre-production and stuff, but I think with the one movie inspired alone is big, but I think that we've been, that too. we've been orbiting around everything that's been spawned by, uh, you know, this one singular movie. So I, but I feel like it'll be, I don't know. It's, it's more, it's more, lighthearted and easygoing i think there's just been so many complications and plot and characters and politics and now it's like when, when you started out you're like this really wasn't what it was about in the beginning even yeah. if those that's i'm just like nervous how long are we going to spend on han shooting first or not anyway we'll get to that next week so we will see you then when we cover episode four a new hope <laughs>